Excuse me, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and uh, again, I'd like to just welcome all of you here and, and let you know that we've been praying that you'd experience God's presence during our time of worship together this morning. We have been uh, taking about, well, four weeks ago, we started a series where we've been asking ourselves, what is God like? How, how should we see him? How should we picture him? How should we understand God? What, what, what is God like and how does that impact our lives? And, and in order to answer that, we've been looking through the book of Isaiah, all right? The book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord in chapter 6. I saw the Lord. And so we've been saying, okay, Isaiah, what did you see? When you saw the Lord, what do you see? And we said the first thing that he saw was that God is the Holy One. That God is the, the one who is so bright and, and he dwells in inexpressible light and, and, and we can't even see it. It's, he is so pure and he is so perfect and he is so holy and Isaiah just falls on his face. And, and then we said that, that Isaiah said, you know what, he's also a, a farmer, a creator who, who, whose heart is broken because God created all things, God made all things, but we rebelled against him and, and, and God is a broken hearted farmer and, and in light of that he's also a judge. That, that God is the one who judges. God is the one who says, this will end. There will be a day when all that is wrong will be set right. There will be a day of justice. And then last week we said, God is the king, right? God is the one who is powerful. He's bigger than any other resource. He is the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and, and as I was thinking about these four that we've kind of covered already, in, in some ways, I, I think that, again, in the first part of the book here, Isaiah has helped us to see that God is great. All right, these are, these are all big pictures of God, that he's holy, that he's the creator. Even the broken heart of farmer, he's the creator. He's, he's the one who makes things, who forms things, who shapes things with his hands. And, and he is the judge, and he is the king. God is great. Many of us learned that as the first line of a prayer when we were kids. But Isaiah, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some pictures that show us that God is also good. God is great and God is good. And those two things are not separate, but they're, they're together. God is great in his goodness and good in his greatness. And, and, and so we're going to look at an aspect of God's character today that, is, that just shows us his heart and the depth of, of his grace and of his love. And, and we're going to add that to our, to our picture, to our collage of those images of, of who God is. Now, in order to understand this next picture, we're going to have to spend some time talking about who we are. Okay, we've got to understand something about ourselves because it's only in light of that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, okay, I'm going to talk mostly about who we are this morning and that's going to set us up. For, for who God is, okay? And so we'll spend some time, the majority of time, kind of getting a sense of, of who we are, who Israel was, who a guy by the name of Hezekiah was, and, and then let that lead us to understand who God is in the light of that. You'll, you'll understand by the time I get there. Let's not worry about it. Okay, last week we said that there were two major storms during the time that Isaiah was a preacher, was a prophet in uh, Judah, okay? Judah's there in the yellow. Uh, Aram and Israel, this is at about 735 B.C. Uh, Ahaz is king. Aram and Israel were the north of them. And then Assyria was the big bad superpower, okay? Assyria was that. And we said Assyria's coming after Aram and Israel, and Aram and Israel are saying, Judah, join us, and they don't. And so they go, and they attack Judah. And that's the first major crisis. That's the first major storm, okay? Ahaz is king, and, 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 and he's got this, well, we said it's like this, right? The, the fish. You know, the red fish is going to eat the blue fish, and you're just that little old yellow fish, and you are in big trouble. Okay, that's, that's where Ahaz was, okay? That's what was going on. And, and Isaiah comes to him in chapter 7 and says, be calm and don't be afraid. That's what he says, that's what the NIV you read, Isaiah 7, 4, be calm and don't be afraid. Keep calm, just relax, just stay calm, okay? Trust me, God says, I can take care of it. 
And the question was, would, would Ahaz be able to trust God? Would Ahaz be able to, to, to trust that God was the king? Isaiah says, I can do this because I have seen the Lord, right? My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty, and he is big enough and he is powerful enough that whatever enemy you're facing, you don't need to compromise, okay? And so the question was, what is Ahaz going to do in this situation? And we said last week that Ahaz fails. Ahaz fails because he turns to Assyria and, and he sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, TP3, the king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. So what he does is he goes this way. And, and, and it works for a time. You know, most of the time our compromises do, right? Most of the time when we lie at work, we get away with it for a time. But, but eventually, over the course of the next 15 years, Assyria comes down, Aram and Israel are taken away, and now they are right there. And, 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 and by 720 B.C., this is the situation, okay? That's where it is. Now, we're going to jump ahead. In 715 B.C., don't worry about the dates, but in 715 B.C., Ahaz dies, Hezekiah becomes king. Ahaz, bad, Hezekiah, good, okay? Just some basics there, okay? If you want to, Ahaz was a bad king, Hezekiah was a good king, all right? And, and, and in spite of that, though, Assyria keeps coming down, and by 701 B.C., this is the second storm now, uh, Sennacherib is in charge of Assyria, and, and Judah is there. Hezekiah, like I say, is a good king, okay? He is there, and, and he is good, really, he is, okay? All right, I guess, yeah, there we are. Um, it, so, 701, Israel, Judah's there surrounded. Sennacherib's coming down. Sennacherib is actually here at the, where that arrow is, at the city of Lachish, all right? Lake, he's, that's where he is, and what he does, this starts the crisis, what he does is he sends a commander up to Jerusalem, okay? He sends a commander up to Jerusalem, and, and this is what happens, okay? Now we're going to slow down again. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Some of you are going, just a second. I've seen that before. I've seen those words before. And some of you will remember, last week we saw those words. Look, this is Isaiah 7. This is Isaiah 7. This is during that first crisis, right? This is when, uh, when Tiglath-Pileser, TP3, is coming down to attack Ahaz. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, uh, to meet who? Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. All right? And, 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 and so we got a real parallel going on here. All right, God is setting things up, okay? And, and this is where they met. And we said that this is the place of greatest vulnerability. Whoever controls the aqueduct, whoever controls the water is in charge. And so this is the place. This is where God came to Ahaz through Isaiah and says, keep calm and don't be afraid. Be calm and don't be afraid. Just relax. Just hang in there because God is the king. Now we have a, a situation 35 years later where the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah. All right? So dad was in this situation. Dad failed. Hezekiah is now in this situation. How is Hezekiah going to do? Uh, how is Hezekiah? So far, he's done good. He's, he's reformed a lot of things. He said to Assyria, we're going to stop paying you. He has trusted in God. So far, Hezekiah is going to do well, uh, has done well. How's he going to do here? This is what happens. This is what the great king, now this is the, the field commander from, uh, from uh, Sennacherib talking. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, okay? Again, who's king? Big question. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You, you say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. 
And, and in this key question, on whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Where's your faith? Who's your king? And again, that was the key question for Ahaz. Who's going to be your king? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to say has got the power in this world? Will you say, no, it is my God who has the power? Or will you say, no, it is Wall Street that has the power? It is that group that has the power. It is that person that has the power. Who are we going to trust? And, and, and here this commander comes, and at the place of vulnerability, he just says, are you serious? Are you serious? And he goes on, and it's one of the great trash-talking speeches in the Bible. You should read it. I'm not going to take the time. But he goes on, and he just says, there's no way that God's going to save you. There's no way that he can. You guys are wimps. You guys are this. And he really, he just goes on, and he taunts them. And he, and he ends with these words. It, 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 he says, who of all these gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So he's basically there. He's been talking to the representatives of King Hezekiah. He's been talking. He actually takes some time to talk to the people who are on the wall of the city. You might have noticed that behind the aqueduct. The, the, the wall of the city, the people are there. The people from Hezekiah, the, the, the officials say, uh, don't speak the language they can understand. We don't want them to hear this. Well, this guy is just going, they're throwing your kids into death. Tell them to surrender because it's crazy. There's nobody who can stop us. The message goes to King Hezekiah. And, and the question is, what's he going to do? Again, it's a question each and every one of us faces every day. Where do we put our trust? Are we going to compromise or are we going to just trust God and do what he calls us to do? When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He's scared okay? He's scared. You should be. This is a big, bad world with a lot of nasty stuff in it. He's scared. But what does he do? He turns to God. He, he turns to God, and he comes into God's presence, and he says, I am going to trust in you. I am not going to, I am not going to turn to the Assyrians. I am not going to give in. I will trust in you. And so he comes into the temple, and Isaiah meets him there. This is what the Lord says. Isaiah is speaking. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Again, keep calm and don't be afraid. Very similar to those words. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have, uh, with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. You know, keep calm and don't be afraid. Okay, so <laughs> that's the word he gets. It, it takes several months for things to reach a peak point, but eventually it gets to the place where Sennacherib is completely surrounding Jerusalem. He's burned down all the other cities, and he sends one last letter. He sends one last letter to Hezekiah saying, are you really going to make me wipe you out? Are you really going to cost all these lives? Nobody stop me. You can't stop me. I don't want to have to kill you all. Just come peacefully. It's the way things are. It's just reality. It's the real world. Again, sometimes you, you, you face that, right, in, in work. And what does the boss say? Hey, nice to have those morals, but it's the real world we live in. This is the way things really work. That's what, Hezekiah, that's what a Sennacherib is saying to Hezekiah. Hezekiah again turns to the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, King, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. He is big and powerful. He is the king of Judah. He is the lion of Judah. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Hezekiah nails it. He nails it. I mean, he is surrounded by an army that is the biggest and most powerful in the world. And he says, God, I am going to trust in you. 
God, I am going to put my faith in you. And, and a miracle happens. An amazing thing happens. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. God does not always miraculously deliver us, but he always has the power to do it. And so they wake up the next morning, and, and, and there are just 185,000 dead bodies, which, I mean, aside from being really gross, is amazing. I mean, you just think, uh, there they are. And, 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 and the armies of, of Sennacherib, they, they just retreat, and they go back. And, 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 and again, Judah has, has, has a level of freedom again that she hasn't experienced for a time. And in fact, Sennacherib himself... God had said, Isaiah had said that, that God was going to have Sennacherib go back to, to Assyria, to his home place. Uh, and he ends up going back and he gets killed, just like God said he would, okay? Two of his sons, and, and that's in the Assyrian records, two of his sons kill him. So, Isaiah 36 and 37, facing almost the same challenge as his father, Hezekiah nails it. All right, that's the first thing we need to see. But there's more, okay, about who we are. Isaiah 38, we're not going to spend any time here, but Hezekiah gets sick. God heals him, okay? And then comes Isaiah 39. Isaiah 39, and this is just fascinating because it's another test for Hezekiah. He, he blew away the first one. He nailed the first one, okay? And sometimes you and I are that way. We get it right. But now comes another one. And this one is more difficult because it's not direct. This one is more difficult because it's subtle. This is not a compromise your commitment. This is a no big deal here, okay? Look at this. We don't even recognize it at first when you read this. Isaiah 39, verse 1. At that time, at that time, Marduk Baladin, son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and his recovery. What's the big deal? I mean, Hezekiah gets sick, he gets better, and, and somebody from uh, a country sends him some gifts and, and a nice little, uh, you know, bottle of wine, and congratulations, glad you're doing better, and uh, thanks for, uh, you know, everything you've done. And, and I mean, just sends this little letter to him. What is the big deal? And, and why Babylon? What's going on here? Again, let's go back to the big map, all right? This is what 703 B.C. We'll take back just a couple of years. What, what's been happening here, and this is why Sennacherib had to go back, um, is you got Babylon here, and, and, and Assyria has been large and in charge, okay? Babylon has been small, not much. But around this time, uh, Baladin kind of grows Babylon, and that's been the concern, okay? That's why Sennacherib went back. Assyria has to pull back away, and, and, and they, they have to take care of Babylon. They do in 701, okay? They, they take care of Babylon in 703, 701, until about 660, okay? Until about 660, um, that's what's going to happen. In 701, then um, this is where we are, and, and this is when Baladin sends messengers, okay? This is when he sends these gifts and so on. And, and, and so what we need to understand is that these gifts are not about, oh, just glad you're feeling better. These gifts are all about an invitation, okay? These gifts are all about flattery. King Hezekiah, you deserve to be recognized on a world stage. We've heard what happened. We heard how 185,000 Assyrian troops were just destroyed. And, 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 and so what this is is flattery. What, what this is is, is is an invitation to say could, to, to, together we can overthrow Assyria. Together we can, we, we can make things new. Together. And, and, and so what we have here, because Isaiah has already said that Babylon is bad, don't join with them. But what we have is a temptation to a, an unholy alliance. 
We have a temptation that comes along, and it's subtle. And, and, and here's where I think, again, here's where I want you to put yourself in Hezekiah's shoes, because you are Hezekiah, and I am Hezekiah, and, and each and every one of us. Because Hezekiah comes out of a situation. Hezekiah, he, he has just nailed it. And sometimes we do. We get it right. We do the right thing at work. We t- take the right moral stand. We do the right thing. And it's like he comes out of that, and then he's walking away, just praising God, and he trips over a crack in the sidewalk. This direct threat that came at him, he stood strong. But here he's got something that is so dangerous because he doesn't even hardly notice it. It doesn't look very big. And, and he just blows it. Here's what he does. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly. That's not so bad. But then this is what he does. He showed them what was in his storehouses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palaces or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. And, and, and so in the light of direct threat, he turns to God. There is no compromise. God delivers him, and he nails it. But in the face of this indirect temptation, he doesn't turn to God, right? He doesn't go to Isaiah and say, what's going on? He doesn't do that. Instead, he, he shows off, and really what he does is he flirts. And that's the image, I think, of how we deal with sin so often. He just flirts and he fails it, okay? And that's you and, and that's me. And I want to just stop and, and, and let you think about that. Because, because again, it, it can happen so often. You know, you're at work and, and, and somebody, you know, yells at you and gets mad at you. And you say, you know what, what would Jesus do? And you treat them with dignity and you speak with grace and with truth. And you do that right. And you walk away. And you see somebody else, and you go gossip with that person. And it's like, you know what? You knew you were in a difficult situation, and you nailed it. But then you go, and you just kind of gossip with somebody. You're, you're making business deals, and, and you choose the right one. But then somebody comes along. I mean, I, my, my brother, who uh, i got three brothers who are business guys, and, and all of them have had these situations where, you, you, you know, you do some things right, you make a little bit of money, and then some big fish come along. And you know how tempting it is? I mean, one of my brothers, you know, has somebody approach him and say, hey, we got a deal. We're going to build, we're going to build 24 condos in, in Telluride, um, 23 million. You can build a nice condo for $950,000. What do you say? Now, that wasn't unholy, but, but all this, you know, he just talked about how, how that just kind of felt like, whoa, this is cool. To be at this level, to have somebody recognize that I'm this. And, 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 and he, you know, it's just so tempting. And it's not necessarily wrong, and, and this one wasn't, don't worry about it. But, but that, that sense, you know how that is. You know how that is. You're, you, you, you're in the business world, and you do something right, you're away from home, and, you, and you, you make a right choice, and then you go back to the hotel room, and it's like, oh man, I should celebrate, my wife's not here, how about some porn? And it's like, ah, and then that's what happens with Hezekiah. It, it's so frustrating because he's a mixed bag. And, and, and that's what I'm saying about me. I get so frustrated with myself because I sometimes do get it right, and so do you. I sometimes get it right, but then I trip over the foolish things. I, I trip over the silly things, and I fall flat on my face. And I think Isaiah is just so frustrated at this point. I think he's been preaching for almost 40 years. I mean, he went through Ahaz. Ahaz was bad, right? And then Hezekiah came along, and Hezekiah was good. And he's like, this is the one. I mean, I'm sure Isaiah, you know, thought that Hezekiah was the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy, that that a young woman will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he will be Emmanuel, God with us. That was Hezekiah. 
He brought God back to us. He nailed it. Even in the face of the Assyrian armies, he just stood strong and said, God, we trust you. And Isaiah's going, yes, this is the one. This is the one who can get it right. And then he sees this, and it just breaks his heart. I think this, this just crushed Isaiah. This absolutely crushed him. Hezekiah doesn't go to Isaiah, but Isaiah comes to Hezekiah. And he says this, Then Isaiah the prophet went to the king, went to King Hezekiah and asked, What are those men saying? Where did they come from? And I think as soon as he saw Isaiah, Hezekiah knew something was up. I, I mean, his answer is just classic. Where did they come from? Um, a distant land. Distant place. Some place. Some place. Okay, they came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? And here Hezekiah just, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. And I think Isaiah is just crushed because his hope now has clay feet. And you've had that. You've, you've thought this person is good. This person is right. And, and I, I, I know I can't trust many people, but I can trust this person. And I guarantee you every human being who you've put that level of trust in has failed. Because that's who we are. We're all mixed bags. I know of kids who who had one of their parents on a pedestal. One was struggling, the other one was on a pedestal. This was the good one. And then they find out this one on the pedestal had had an affair or two or three. And it's like, I can't believe you did that. I trusted you. I trusted you. That's where Isaiah is. He is so frustrated with Hezekiah. You were going to be the one. God could have used you so much. And, And... And Isaiah just announces the word of judgment. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Again, think of judgment here. You go to bed with a snake, the snake will eat you. Hezekiah starts to say, ah, let's just kind of flirt with Babylon here. Didn't sign a treaty, just flirted a little bit with it. And Isaiah says, do you understand what happens when you go to bed with snakes? They destroy you. You know, when you make partners like that, they just eat you up. And that's what sin does. You know, I think, I mean, most clearly you think of addiction, drugs, alcohol. Yeah, it makes me feel better. But at the end of the day, if you become an addict, it will just destroy you and eat everything up. Isaiah says, that's what's going to happen. And, 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 and so in the face of the direct threat, he, he nails it. Sometimes we get it right. In the face of the subtle temptation, he fails. And the judgment is exile in Babylon. Again, it doesn't happen right away. It's not for 115 years. Assyria stays strong till about 660, okay? Till about 660. And then in 660, Babylon begins to grow and become much more powerful. And they swallow up Assyria. And by 586, they're right here. And what Isaiah sees is that in 586, they go down, they swallow up Israel, and that little nation gets taken, just a remnant of them, back to Babylon. And that's what's going to happen. Hezekiah is Israel. Hezekiah is you. Hezekiah is me. Sometimes Israel nails it, but then they fail. And at the end of the day, 
we all lose. And the God who is the judge, the God who is the judge says, guilty. And we're done. And we're broken. This is a huge place in the book of Isaiah, okay? At the end of Isaiah 39, he announces that Judah is going to go into exile. And, and this is a major break. This is a major break. We're almost to the point of the sermon, honestly. Um, a, a major break in the book of Isaiah because it's the end of the public ministry of Isaiah. In fact, the break is so major here that a number of scholars will say uh, Isaiah 1 to 39 is written by one person and Isaiah 40 to 66 is written by somebody else. I, I don't think we necessarily have to go there. I don't think we have to go there at all. But I think this is what happens. I think Isaiah is, is, is just crushed that Hezekiah who has been good for so long and who nails it so clearly that he fails that he's just like, it's done. It doesn't do any good. God's word of judgment is the last word and we have failed and I just don't know what else is going to happen. God is the king. He's big enough. He's powerful enough. <sighs> Hezekiah knew. Israel knew and, and, and just failed. And I think what happens, it's not suggested clearly, but I think it's oddly hinted at, is that, uh, hinted at is that Hezekiah and his family, his wife, was called a prophetess, and, and his sons, uh, his other family members, some of those who are remnant with him, they, they move out of Jerusalem and into the hill country just south of, of Jerusalem, into that area of Judah. And, and I think Isaiah intends to just kind of end his days there. Just kind of say, God, we're going to try to trust you as best as we can here. This is the end of his public ministry. Isaiah does not go out after Isaiah 39. But it's not the end of his seeing God. It's not the end of his seeing God. What happens next is now God shows Isaiah what he wants to say to his people in captivity. Okay, Now we get to what we need to see about who God is. Because you see, we are Hezekiah. We are Isaiah. We are hopeless. We are at that place where it doesn't matter. You know, we're heroes and then we fail. Each and every one of us knows that you are not as good as anybody else thinks you are. I am not as good as any of you think I am. And maybe some of you get it right. But that's where we are. And the question is, what is God's next word? And Isaiah continues to get that word. And, 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 and it's only when we understand all of that, if you've been with me, and I pray you have, then we can understand why Isaiah 40 is so important. Why these first words of Isaiah are for here. So, because Isaiah is there, he's in his, this group, he's in Judah, it's still 698, something like that. He's, he's here, but what he's doing is he's seeing what God is going to say when God comes to the people in Babylon. And, and given what he's already said, that God is holy, that God is the judge, that God is the king, I, I can tell you what I would expect the next words to be. Isaiah 41, if Ron wrote the Bible, is this, I told you this would happen. This is exactly what you deserve. You made your bed, now lie in it. I'm done with you. Says Ron, good news, Ron didn't write the Bible. And Ron's not God. But think about it. That, I mean, Isaiah really genuinely had to be expecting powerful words of judgment. Isaiah's given up. Isaiah has lost hope. Hezekiah has failed. Manasseh, his son, is going to be ten times worse than Ahaz was. One of the worst there is. And and. and Isaiah is just there and saying, God, it's over. It's done. And then these words. Now you can hear them. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. 
As Isaiah saw that picture of God, as he saw the king, as he saw the holy one, as he saw that picture of God, now God coming and saying, Isaiah, here is my word. Comfort my people. Be gentle with them. Speak tenderly to them. And it's like, God, what a, what, hold on. You're holy and you're pure and you're righteous and you're all, no, no, speak, to, comfort them. But God, they, they blew it. They failed. They turned their back on you. I know, but I still love them. Comfort them. Comfort them. Wrap your arms around them and tell them that I am going to come to them. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And those are the words of God to us. He says to us, as mixed bags, as people with clay feet, as people have blown it over and over again, he says to us, comfort, comfort. And this is one of the most amazing words in Scripture, that given where the situation is, God's next word is comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now, Isaiah couldn't see it. We do. It's Jesus who receives that. But the price has been paid. And, 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 and again, just, I mean, Isaiah has got to be just, I, I see him explaining this to, to, the, to his wife. Honey, I, I saw the Lord. Oh, boy. He's still ticked, isn't he? You won't believe what he said. He said, speak tenderly. But they're just rotten. He still loves them. He still loves them. He's going to forgive them. Are you sure? I imagine Isaiah had to get this one twice, if not three times. Because when God's people are at a place where they are absolutely at, at the dead end, the bottom of the pit, God comes and does for them and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Jump down to verse 10 of 40. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies. That's justice, okay? He's bringing justice. But then these words, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And Isaiah says, this is your God. This is your God. And I want you to see him that way. He's the lion. He is the lion of Judah, but he is also the good shepherd. And what he does is he comes to you at the bottom of your life. He comes to you in the depth of your brokenness. He comes to you at the depth of your sin, and he gathers you up. You know, the biggest thing wrong with this picture is the lamb, because <laughs> it's cute. And I'm not. It's pretty. And, and I'm not. And what's amazing is the shepherd comes to us when we are bleeding and broken. Often because of our own sins. Sometimes because of this world. And in the midst of that, God is that shepherd who gathers us up and holds us in his arms. And that's God. Isaiah saw the Lord. And he saw the lion of Judah. But Isaiah saw a shepherd. And, and I want you to just stop and think about that, okay? We did this last week, you know, that, that he is the king, that our God is greater, our God is stronger. But now just stop and recognize that when you are broken, when you are at those places where you have failed, that God comes and he just picks you up and he wraps his arms of love and protection around you.
and he comforts you. And when you need to be held, that's what he does. And he wipes away every tear from your eyes. And he washes away all your sins until we do look like that. God says, I'm going to come to you. And I need that. I'm, I'm pretty good at fooling a lot of people. Y'all think I'm pretty nice. Okay, you don't all think that. But I'm not. My only hope is that 2,000 years ago, in a little humble place called Bethlehem, God came to his people. And he was the good shepherd. And he's holding on to me when it gets really bad. He's there. He's strong enough. But he's also so gentle. And so as we look at our picture of God, we add the shepherd. We add the shepherd. When you know you are broken, friends, God, God knocks down the proud but he holds on to the broken. And he will never let you go. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, you are great. You are a lion, you are powerful, and you are big. But that's not as shocking Isaiah saw something more amazing than that. That is that you are gentle and kind and comforting and a shepherd who picks us up. Father, none of us are as strong as we think we are. None of us are as strong as we like everybody else to think we are. So just right now, hold us because we're shaking like a leaf. You know, you've been our God of glory. Be now our Prince of Peace. Be our good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and being born so that you could take care of us and wrap your arms of love around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.